Hi, I'm Juliet, the almost ordained rabbi. In just three more weeks, I'm so excited. So many changes going on. Ah, yeah. So, Juliet, the keeping it real rabbi, the real rabbi, realrabbinyc.com, because I like keeping things real. Today, I'm going to talk about dreams, the land of fear, and Vayeshev. Yeah, this week is all about dreams. I'm fulfilling my dream of becoming a rabbi in, yeah, just three weeks from now. And I'm, I just turned 60 in September. You know, if I had let fear stop me seven years ago, eight years ago, I, and if I had let my age stop me, then I wouldn't be here today. So here I am. I did it. Somebody told me all those years ago when I was starting to think about it, like eight, nine years ago, well, no matter what, you're going to turn 60. So, and I did it in the seven years. It's amazing. So, but before we get into fulfilling dreams and dreams and talking about them, we're going to begin with this. Vayeshev Yaakov Be'eretz Megurei Aviv Be'eretz Kena'an. There are at least two weak, two ways to interpret this very first verse of the Parsha. The most common translations are, and Jacob settled, dwelled in the land where his father had sojourned in the land of Canaan, or sometimes it's written in the land of his father's sojourn. It's kind of boring. We could also say, and Jacob settled in the land of his father's fear. Whoa, much more interesting. Because Megure or Megur, Meguri, Megur is another word for fear or terror, like Pachad. It's the fear of his father, his father's fear. Rabbi Levi Yitzchak of Berdachev, a Hasidic rabbi from the 18th century, um, from what is now Ukraine. He commented on this in, so he wrote the Caduceus Levi, and he commented on this, and he said that this meant that Jacob embraced his father's fear, as in the fear of Isaac, quoted from Genesis 31:42. So Jacob wasn't finally settling down in his old age at peace and able to relax with all the wealth that he had accumulated, free of challenges right? Hopefully, no. Jacob had absorbed his father's fear and had not managed to grow beyond it. So settling in peace did not apply to him. Why this is that, you know, maybe this is why he is referred to here in his egocentered, by his egocentered self, um, short-sighted identity of heel clinger, heel grabber, Jacob. They call him Jacob. He got a new name last week, but he's not being called Yisrael here. He's call, being called Jacob. His new name, Israel, it means, you know, he, he got it after wrestling with the divine. And it implies transformation to the one who understands unification with oneness beyond the egoic self. But Jacob is still limping from his wounds. His dream of settling down in peace can't be fulfilled. 
because he's still dwelling in a place of fear. And not only is he continuing his father's legacy of dwelling in a place of fear, we go on to learn that he's also dwelling in his father's favoritism, which caused so much damage to his relationship with his twin Esau. Yeah, Jacob too has chosen favorites. He chose Joseph from his favorite wife, Rachel, his youngest son of his favorite wife. So he had a favorite wife and he had a favorite son. So what does this do? Causes the same kind of problems he had with Esau. There's this rivalry among the many brothers, especially Joseph. Um, Especially because Joseph has internalized his specialness. And his father even gives him an ornamented tunic that shows off his status. So being the spoiled child that Jacob, that Joseph is, God, Joseph, Jacob, why do they give them such close, they sound so so similar. I'm always getting them mixed up, Rachel, Rebecca. Anyway, being the spoiled child that he is, Joseph does not learn to be sensitive to others. At 17, he's haughty bringing bad reports back from the fields, telling on his brother when, where they're, when they're pastoring, and, and also sharing dreams that show his superiority. I mean, it's not very smart. And okay, 17 is still young, but mm, if your parents have taught you right and haven't spoiled the hell out of you, they would have told you years ago, you're predicting, you're telling dreams all over the place? Cut that out. This is not okay. Whether they're good dreams or bad dreams, stop being, stop pretending you're so special. Like anybody can do that or whatever, right? Like put him in his place because he has this special gift as a dreamer of interpreting his own dreams and also other people's dreams. And he tells his brothers and his father of dreams that illustrate that they will one day bow down to him. Now, when I was reading this, it was was so interesting because it struck me when I saw the word magar which is from our first sentence, Megure uh, Aviv, right? From the, the, the sojourn, or um, yeah, of his father's sojourn. Um, so this verb magar, meaning sojourn or fear, connected with this verb, it means something totally different as a verb. So up above, before that, it's, it's, um, it's a noun, and now it's a verb. And as a verb, it doesn't mean, it doesn't have anything to do with sojourning or fearing. It has, it, it means to be hurled or tossed or thrown. And when I read that, I was like, oh, wow, this is so interesting because guess what? Joseph's brothers, they're all vengeful and they're jealous and they throw Joseph into a pit, conspiring to kill him, hoping to erase his dreams. And so they say, come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. And we can say, a savage beast devoured him. We shall see what comes of his dreams. So Reuben says, no, shed no blood, cast him into that pit out in the wilderness, but don't touch him yourself. He's intending to save him from them and restore him to his father. Vayomer Alehem don't don't shed blood. Throw him into the pit, 
Asher Bamidbar, that's in the that's in the desert. Ve'yad al tishlach tishlachu vo, but don't put your hand on him. Laman hatzil oto miyadam lahashivo al aviv to return him to his father. That's Genesis thirty-seven twenty-two. So they stripped Joseph of his special tunic. They're, what are they doing? They're symbolically stripping him of his superior status and they throw him into the pit. Judah then suggests selling him to some passing Midianites. He's like, hey, let's not, yeah, let's not kill him. Okay, let's just sell him to the, let's not, you know. So they take his tunic and they streak it with animal blood and they present it to their father, Jacob. And Jacob's father, uh, I mean, Jacob, he recognized it and he said, my son's tunic, a savage beast devoured him. Joseph was torn by a beast. Oi, oi, oi. And he won't be comforted and it's horrible. And his dreams have been dashed of having his, his favorite son grow up to take care of him in his old age, whatever dreams he has for his son, right? Well, so, okay, so let's think about this. As the eldest, Reuben has the responsibility to keep his younger brother safe, and he will most likely take the greatest blame if anything happens to him. So he wants to—he doesn't want him dead. Um, remember that he's the one who says, you know, let's just uh, let's put him into the pit. Let's let's cast him in the pit. Let's not kill him. Um, let's not shed his blood. Um, but. Okay, so he doesn't want anything terrible to happen to him. He doesn't want to go that far. But let's think about Reuben, though. Reuben also has the dream of being the inheritor of his father's wealth as the eldest son. And now his dream is being threatened by his father's favoritism towards Joseph. So, yeah, he feels responsibility as the eldest, but he's also afraid of what will happen if harm comes to Joseph. But he also wants Joseph gone. Okay, so now Judah. So there's fear with him, right? His dreams and his also his fears. And then Judah, who suggested selling Joseph into slavery rather than killing him, he has his own dreams. And he moves on, he settles elsewhere, he, he marries, and he has children. And his dreams are dashed as tragedy strikes his family. First, one son marries and then he dies. And as required by law, he gives his second son to the, to the same daughter-in-law, Tamar. That's levirate marriage. And then he dies too. And now Judah's like, oh my God, if I give my third son to her, maybe he's going to die too. I don't want to do that. So he promises that the youngest, that when his youngest son is old enough, Shayla, she'll marry him. Um, but in the meantime, he sends Tamar back to her father's house, and he never intends to follow through. But Tamar has her dreams as well. So she's really our heroine, because she's living in a time and a place that has very little regard for her needs or prospects. I mean, okay, leverage marriage making sure that, you know, if one son dies, then she'll, ha- she'll get to marry the other son. That's, that's a kind of protection, but let's be real. Like, she doesn't have much going for her in life. Either go back to her father's house or, you know, have her husband, have a husband and have children. 
And the better of the prospects seems to be having children. That's what the Torah always tells us. So she takes her dream. I mean, this is why she's our heroine. She takes her dream and she intends to fulfill it. And what does she do? She goes and she stands in the road. She takes off her widow's garb. She covers her face with a veil and she she wraps herself up and she sits down at the entrance to the town of Enaim. And um, because she saw that Sheila was grown up, but he had not been given to her, to him. He had not been, she had not been given to him as a wife. Mm. Okay, so here she is posing as, posing as a prostitute looking to, cat, to, to to trap Judah. And Judah is trapped and he doesn't recognize her and he sleeps with her and she wins. The details aren't really important here, but she gets her way. She has her full, her dream fulfilled. She she proves him wrong. At least she at least she stands up for her rights. That's a dream in itself. Think about that one, right? So now let's go back to Joseph's story, where he ends up in servitude to the Pharaoh in Egypt. First, he's raised up as the most trusted of servants. He becomes very comfortable. Then he gets thrown into a second pit. So there's the first pit his brothers send, send him, throw him into, and now he get, gets thrown into a second pit. This time, it's a, it's, it's a dungeon in Pharaoh's palace because supposedly he seduced Pharaoh's wife. Maybe you know the story, maybe you don't. I'm not going to go into it here. So here he is thrown, because I'm here to talk about dreams, okay? I'm focusing on dreams and fear. <laughs> so thrown, he's thrown into a pit twice. He's at his lowest point. He's been raised up, and then he's thrown down again. It's like, how do you keep going? It begs the question, it brings us back to the question, what will be of his dreams now? While in prison, he predicts the dreams of two other prisoners. One, he tells, you're going to be saved, the chief cupbearer for the pharaoh. And the other one is the baker, and he says, oh, your dream's telling you're going to be impaled. Not a good ending. So he begs the one, the the chief cupbearer hey yo when you're out when you're out of here tomorrow in three days time because that's my prediction that's what your dream told me um remember me to pharaoh and um that doesn't happen he's put his faith in this person who doesn't really care about him so and the other one is actually impaled as predicted so Speaking of dreams and predicting dreams, what has, Jason, what has Joseph gained and what was his purpose in sharing the interpretation of these dreams? Who is helped? Yet, we will see in the coming weeks that it is he who saves the Israelites, Joseph who is going to save the Israelites and his family from famine. This is a future he cannot even imagine during his lowest moments. When we're at our lowest point, how can we imagine a future that's good? Our dreams seem to have been dashed. 
So this Parsha is about dreams and it's also about fear and how it causes us to act and how this in itself can affect our dreams. Tamar is an excellent example of not allowing fear to get in the way because one can imagine that she would be terrified at being found out. Last week it was uh, Jacob shaking in his pants. Now it's Tamar. I would be. She's not described that way. We don't know how she's feeling inside. And in fact, when Judah finds out that um, that it's his daughter-in-law and that she wasn't a prostitute, he threatens to have her burned alive. But then he's forced to recognize her identity and his promise to her. So um, she gets what she wants in the end, but it's a scary thing. Taking us back to the beginning of the Parsha, Joseph is sent to find his brothers in the pasture. Out in the field, there's a man who comes upon him as he's wandering in verse 37, 14. We never hear from this man again, which is suspicious. Maybe it's auspicious too. Is this another case of an angel posing as a man? As we had with um, Abraham and the messengers that came to announce Isaac's birth or the divine being Jacob wrestled with. Um, Moses, Moses Maimonides, Joseph, Joseph, Moses, oh my God. Maimonides, medieval Jewish philosopher. He suggests that, he suggests that this is an angel. I think I gave the wrong, wow, is it, it's Moses Maimonides. Did I write Joseph? Oy. Okay, I don't know where that came from. Okay, um, an angel was sent to make sure that Joseph, oh, that's why I was thinking of Joseph. That's why I did that. <laughs> um, an angel is, made, is, is sent to make sure, so Maimonides says that an angel was sent to make sure that Joseph doesn't give up on his mission of finding his brothers. Why would he want to do that? if he's going to get thrown into a pit and he's mistreated by them? Because if Joseph hadn't met this angel, he wouldn't have been sold into slavery. And then his family wouldn't have followed him down to Egypt. And then he wouldn't have been there to save them and his whole people from starvation later on. So what does this tell us? It tells us that sometimes our lowest times can enrich our lives in ways that we never, we can never imagine. Perhaps our dreams change as a result. Perhaps we realize that the older dreams were not good ones after all. And what if we weren't so quick to want to know the future? Does it change things to know good or bad? Maybe predictions are powerful. And they can make up, make us give up on our dreams. They can make us give up, period. But our dreams ourselves, our dreams themselves are powerful. Dreams keep us going just like making plans does. I read once um, about, I was reading a book about centenarians and what makes them live so long, past 100 or around 100. And in, in one of the studies, so that this guy um, interviews centenarians for the book, and 
looking for things that they have in common. And what he finds is that they're always planning for the future. They always have a dream. One, I, one example I remember is of a woman who was over 100 and she was planting, planning her crops for her garden for the next year. She didn't let anyone tell her that her dream was absurd. Come on, you're going to be dead next year. How do you know how long you're going to live? But what if we could plant seeds for our dreams and maybe, maybe believe that there's an angel leading our way? I don't know. Doesn't hurt. The, the great um, famous 10th century Torah commentator Rashi interpreted and he settled in the land of his father's sojourn as he desired to live in tranquility. Even when fear and terror came upon him, he accepted it all with peace and tranquility due to his great trust. That's from Rabbi Levi Yitzchak of Berdichev in the Kedushas Levi again. So we shouldn't cast aside our dreams, whether they're large or small, whether we have lots of time or our days are numbered. The truth is all our days are numbered, even when we think we have all the time in the world. And we can adjust our dreams as we go. Maybe they'll be really tiny dreams if we're like, hmm, I really don't have that much time. But maybe a dream can be something like, um, I want to have an ice cream cone. I don't know. (laughs) It doesn't have to be like, I'm going to become a rabbi, okay, (laughs) when I'm 60. We can have little dreams, we can have big dreams. And we shouldn't allow the future to be predicted by other people or for our fear to get in the way. So my blessing is that we should plant the seeds for our dreams, watch them grow, and sow them. And say amen, and good Shabbos, and visit my website, realrabbinyc.com. Juliet the Rabbi, keeping it real, keeping things real, and find out about spiritual direction, and... Uh, all the other things that I'm doing and yeah, check it out. Maybe I'll be the one to be your spiritual director and you don't know what that is, so go learn about it. Hashba'ah, the flow, living in the flow. All right, I'll see you next week. Good Shabbos and have a great Shabbos and a good week. Okay, bye. Till next time.